0: Well, a few months back, I'm not sure exactly when, we began on Sunday nights looking at the stories that Jesus told, the parables. And we've come a long way. We we started off looking at that, what I call a parable, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount about the uh, wise and foolish builders. We did the parable of the sower, the weeds and the tares, uh, the 12th hour, 11th hour workers. Uh, and. The last three we did were that trilogy found in Matthew 25, the wise and foolish virgins, uh, the parable of the talents, and then the sheep and the goats. And tonight we're going to look at a parable that has to do with, with an invitation. You can go ahead, Joe. Now, I don't know about you, but I want you to think about what is the most impressive invitation you have ever gotten? Where you were just looking forward to it because it was supposed to be a great event, or somebody really prestigious or important or whatever invited you. You know, you may be thinking all the way back to grade school when, when or junior high or high school. You know, when the most popular kid in class was having a a party or a birthday party, and they invited you. You know, and that that made you feel good. Years ago, when Kenny and I were at Harding. Uh, many of you know uh, Jimmy Allen, who's a professor there, uh, and uh, he, he likes to fish. Me, I don't fish. I don't know nothing about fishing. And it just so happened that it was during the summer session, and uh, he had actually torn his Achilles tendon playing softball, so he was in a cast. And so I get home one day, and Kenya says, Jimmy Allen wants you to call him. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, what have I done? (laughs) I, you know, wouldn't be the first time I've been called by a professor. Uh, So, you know, I thought, you know, and so I called him and he says, "Uh, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, well, I really don't have anything going on that I know of. He says, you're going fishing with me. I thought, "Uh, brother, I said, I don't even have a, a fishing Pole, rod, thing, you know, one of those. I don't even have one. Oh, that's all right. I got you covered. And so I thought, okay, well, cool. And he told me what time to meet him at his house. i was thinking to myself, I was feeling really good, tell you the truth. I was like, wow, Jimmy Allen called me to go fishing with him. And then I kind of got to thinking about it. It was the summer session. And most of the other guys that were in my class that went fishing with him were gone. They'd gone home to visit or whatever. And Kenny and I were still there in Searcy because I was working. I thought, uh, okay, I can see how this is going. Then when I get to his house, I really find out what was behind it. And that was because his, cat, his leg was in a cast. He needed me to haul all the equipment. I had to go up a ladder to get the boat motor down. And I had to get all the rods and the reels and all the tackling, all that kind of stuff. And then when we get to the to the river, you know, he backs the boat off. And I've got to figure out how to undo the boat and all that kind of stuff. It's a good thing. It's lucky the boat didn't drive away. And so he gives me this rod and reel. Now again, I know nothing about Fishing. But back in the day, I remember the little Zebco reel thing, you know. You pushed the little thing and you went like that and it, you know, and you reeled it in. That's the kind of riding wheel I remember. Or just an old cane pole with the cork on it, you know. But oh no, Jimmy Allen had what's called, I believe, an open reel, okay. Wow. Some of you are already ahead of me. I'd never seen anything like that. Before I, and if you don't know what you're doing with one of those reels, you can get it all twisted and wound up. He spent more time undoing my reel than we did fishing. And not only that, but we didn't catch anything. He said, I've never been out here on this river and not caught anything. <laughs> By the way, that was the last invitation I got to go fishing. <laughs> but I thought that was pretty neat. Several years ago, in fact, I'm pretty sure it was 2001... My dad called. It was Thanksgiving time. My dad called and said, can you and Brittany go to the A&M Texas football game? I thought, well, sure. He said, well, we're going to be in the suite with this man that is a good friend of my dad's, but he shares the suite with John David Crow." Now, most of you in here don't have a clue to who that is. But up until Johnny Manziel crow was the only heisman trophy winner that texas a&m had i thought it was pretty cool to spend we're gonna get to watch the football game with a heisman trophy winner and i hyped it all up to Brittany, and she was excited Woo! heisman she even knew what the heisman trophy was you know she thought this was gonna be then when we got there she realized 70 years old she wasn't quite as impressed But Jesus is going to tell us a parable about being invited. Have you ever been on the other end of planning something and not knowing whether anybody was going to show up? Just hoping. I remember an episode of the Brady Bunch, and I don't remember exactly what the whole thing was, but, but Peter had done something, or I don't remember what it was, and he'd gotten this big head about himself. And, you know, he had just made every, he'd, he'd just been a jerk and had made everybody miserable. And he decided he was going to throw this party and nobody came because he had been so mean to everybody and whatever had happened. Well, Jesus tells this parable beginning in Luke chapter 14 and verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man prepared a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the street and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the county lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. And I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, I think, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think in the original context, the parable has to do with the Jews and the Gentiles. That's what I think. Now, you could move me off of that a little bit. But the Jews were the ones who had been invited. They had been the ones who had been God's chosen people. And they're the ones who now are kind of rejecting Jesus. And so now the call is going to go out to the Gentile world. It could be. And with what happened previously a little bit, it could be that it may be more about the entitled and unentitled You know, Jesus is at this Pharisee's house, a prominent person, and a lame man walks in and and Jesus heals him. And they're all kind of talking about what's going on there, you know. So it may have to do with that. But but either way, the, the analogy works. But now for us, I think what is important to remember is that things were handled a little differently back then. Uh, you know, every now and then, maybe for a wedding or something kind of important, you'll get an invitation and it'll have an RSVP. In other words, the person planning the party or the wedding or the reception or whatever kind of wants to know who's coming so they can make arrangements. Well, that's kind of what happened apparently back in these days. That the invitation would have been sent out well in advance. And the invitation would have been accepted. Then when it was actually time, when everything was ready and it was time for the banquet to begin, the call would go out and it would be, okay, now it's time to come. And it's during that time that the three people began to make excuses. The point I'm trying to make in all of this is, the people who did not come, the people who made excuses, had already accepted the invitation. They'd already accepted the invitation. And then at the last minute, for whatever reason, began to make excuses. Now, that puts a little different twist on the parable, I think. Because now it directly applies to us. You see, if it was just about the Jews and the Gentiles or the haves and have-nots, we could kind of say, well, it really doesn't apply to us. No, I think it really does apply to us. Because... Most everybody in here, this is the Sunday night, it's raining, you know, the crowd's a little thin. Everybody in here has accepted God's invitation. We have already accepted that invitation. He offered, we accepted. Now, we don't want to find ourselves at the end making excuses and missing out on the great banquet. And so tonight, I just want us to look at the three excuses that were made, maybe make some application to our lives to make sure that we don't fall into that trap. I believe that, you know, what we have here is legitimate or trivial excuses. I went online, I started to do this thing, and maybe you've seen it before, Uh list of excuses why kids miss school, you know, and they're just, you know, crazy, or why, why people miss work, and you have all these ridiculous excuses and things like that and we all from time to time perhaps make excuses and and every now and then you know you, somebody will make an excuse to you and you're just kind of go, what that really doesn't make any sense and it's kind of what we got you know going on here when my you know i i've, I've told this before but can you broke our first two dates I asked her out on, I think it was a Wednesday night, and I asked her if she'd go out on Friday night, and she said, yeah, give me a call Friday and tell me all the particulars and all this. And so, you know, I'm all excited. First date, you know, Kenya, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I won't tell, don't, she doesn't know this, but really the reason that I finally asked her out is because I heard somebody else was going to ask her out. I've been wanting to ask her out a long time but didn't have the courage. But then when I found somebody else was gonna ask her out, I asked her out. So I call her Friday afternoon, you know, from Wednesday to Friday is a long time when you've been thinking about, you know, going out on a date. I call her Friday night and say, what time should I pick you up? I'm not going. What? I just got my hair permed and it's all frizzy and I'm not going out in public. (laughs) Like, really? Okay, all right. What about tomorrow night? Yeah, maybe tomorrow night. Tell me tomorrow night. We'll see. So Saturday night, I call her. Say, said, what time should I pick you up? No, it's worse than it was yesterday. I'm not going out. Now, I'm dumb. But it doesn't take a brick to fall on my head. Or maybe it does. And I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> two nights in a row, I'm not going for the trifecta. So I'm like, well, forget it. I'm not asking her out again. A week later she asked me out. I didn't make any excuses. My hair was just fine. And I suppose that, that was a legitimate excuse. At least in her mind it was. I'm not too sure still. But what we have here is we have three excuses that people made to the master. And the first one has to do with occupation. And I, I may be stretching these a little bit. But this is the one who said that I bought a field. And I got to go look at it. Now, does that seem a little odd to you? Who buys a field that they haven't seen? I, you know, if I'm going to buy a field, I'm going to have checked it out. I'm going to have walked it. I'm going to have, you know, found everything out about it that I could before I buy it. But the excuse that was made is I bought a field and I've got to go look at it. And so, I'm making an analogy here to us in our world and perhaps our career or our occupation. In our world, our careers and our jobs seem to define who we are. You know, when you meet somebody new, what's one of the first things you ask? Well, what do you do? Where do you work? You know, what job do you have? And we even try to spice things up a little bit, you know. Uh, There are no more garbage men. Right? They're sanitation engineers. There are no more housewives. They're domestic engineers. There are no more secretaries. They're administrative assistants. I remember a few years ago, I missed Secretary's Day. You wanna know why I missed it? Because they changed it on my calendar from Secretary's Day to Administrative Assistance Day. Well, I didn't know that's what Janice was. They need to tell me these things. But we do whatever we can to make what we do sound a little better, be a little bigger. Many times it's just about status. It's just as much about status and prestige as it is about making a living. And Jesus seemed to make it clear that following him took precedent even over our jobs, even over our careers. You remember in Mark chapter 1, Jesus meets the fisherman. And he says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And it says that they immediately left their nets. uh, John and James actually left their daddy, Zebedee, to clean up the, the nets from the day's fish. And they went and they followed Jesus. One chapter over, Jesus is coming along and there's Matthew at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus says, hey, Come follow me. And Matthew left the tax collector's booth. And he went to follow him. I always think it's kind of interesting that after Jesus is raised from the dead. Uh, remember after Peter denies him in the, in the, in the courtyard. And, and then Jesus is, is, is raised from the dead. And he's about to meet with his disciples in Galilee. And the disciples are there at the lake. And it's like they don't know what to do. And Peter says. Guys. I'm going fishing. It's almost as if Peter is kind of saying. You know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what just happened. I don't know what's going on. But I'm a fisherman. And now there doesn't seem anything for me to do. So I'm going to go back to fishing. And you remember that. As they come back in, they see Jesus on the shore. And that's when you remember that three times Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And all three times, Jesus said something along the lines of feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my lambs. And I kind of think what Jesus was saying was, Peter... You ain't a fisherman no more. You're a shepherd. You're not, gonna fish. You're not going back to life the way it was. You're a Christian. You're a disciple. You're going to follow me. And I think sometimes we have it a little backwards. Our profession is our Christianity. What we do at our jobs is our hobby. Now, you know, I'm a little unique kind of because it's all kind of mixed there together. But, you know, our profession is being a disciple of Christ. And nothing should come, our jobs, our careers, nothing should come between us and God. We can't use that as an excuse. Secondly, I use the term recreation. And this is the one, you know, where he said, I bought five oak of Yoxon and and I got to go prove them. Again, that make a lot of sense to you? Oxen were the staple of the agricultural society. They were, they were the ones that did all the heavy hauling. They did all the work. Would you buy a yoke of oxen and have never seen whether they could work or not, whether they were lame or not? We got some farmers in here. Charlie, you know, would you buy a tractor, you know, sight unseen? Probably not. That's something I probably would do. But you people would not do that. You're smarter than that. You would go try it out. You would make sure you'd want to know all about, you know, how many hours it had on it and when was the last time the engine or transmission was overhauled and all those kinds of things. Me, I just want to know, does the air conditioner work? That's the only thing I care about, you know? But obviously, this was, this was an excuse. Who would buy oxen and not use it? And we, you might think to yourself, well, that kind of applies to the occupation thing too. Yeah, it does. So I'm really stretching this. But when I was thinking about, you know, I bought these oxen. I, got, I was thinking about maybe I got a new boat. I got to go try it out. Maybe I got a new set of golf clubs. Got to go try them out. Maybe I got a new RV. Got to go try it out. Whatever it is, you know, that, that consumes our time. And it can be really good things. Anything wrong with buying yoke of oxen to use in your farm? No. But when it comes between us and God, there are a lot of noble activities in this world. And I think that Satan knows that with some of us, he cannot... He may have just given up on trying to hit us head on with temptation. You know, I've been, I've been hitting him, hitting him, and hitting him, and it doesn't seem to make any, I don't seem to be getting anywhere, Satan says. So you know what? I'm just going to occupy all his time. I'm just going to fill all his time with good things in and of themselves, with noble endeavors. But I'm going to get him so busy, doing all of these things that he's never going to have time to really serve God and put God first. And I think that this is kind of what Jesus is trying to say when he talks about the man who did not accept the invitation. And the third one is family. Now this one, if you notice as I was reading, I tried to put the emphasis on there. You remember what the first two said. I just bought a field. I've got to go look at it. Please excuse me. I bought these yoke of oxen. i got to go try them out. Please excuse me. The third guy. I just got married. I can't come. No apology. No sense of remorse in there. And of all of these, you know, maybe this one sounds... More plausible than the other two, you know. He just got married. He's got a new wife and a family and whatever. And you know, and maybe he didn't wasn't in that situation when he accepted the invitation. I I don't know. But could he not bring his wife along? You know, could 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 he not bring her too? What does getting married have to do with accepting or? Coming to the invitation that he had already accepted. Our families are important. However, Jesus often warned against allowing family ties to influence our service to God. You remember we talked about that when we looked at those words that Jesus said. Unless a man hates his mother and father and brother and sister and wife and children. He can't be my disciple." And we looked at that and we thought, wow, that is really strong language from Jesus. But what he's saying is, is that when you love me and you serve me, I am everything. That even your closest earthly relationships can't even compare to your commitment and your love and your service to me. And I used this analogy when, when we did this. What Jesus is saying is, I don't want to be one of many. I don't even want to be first of many. I want to be one and only. And I use the analogy, you know, just suppose that I told Kenya on the day that we got married. And I told the preacher, I said, I'd like for you to put this in our wedding vows. I like the, you know... Better or worse and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But this is the way I want, I wanted to say, I will love you first of many women. You will always be first. Of all the women that I'm going to be involved in, of all the women that I'm going to have a relationship with, you'll be first. You think that would have worked? Nope. Let me ask you this. Do I have relationships with other women? Sure. I have friends, acquaintances. But in comparison to my relationship to my wife, they're nothing. They're not one of many. And that's what God is saying. Yeah, you've got other things going on here. You know, you've got family relationship and family ties and all things like that. But in the grand scheme of things, you're mine. I'm your one and only. You don't just put me first, you put me only. And that, I think, is what Jesus is saying here when he talks about this idea about the family Our relationship to God is so important that it dwarfs even our relationships with our families. That those whom the man had invited and those who accepted wouldn't be apart. These three didn't mean, I don't think that they meant to trivialize the importance of the invitation. I don't think they meant to trivialize the greatness of the banquet. But they were just too concerned with other things. God has invited us. We've accepted that invitation. We don't want to get so involved in all these other things that we make excuses, whether consciously or subconsciously, and we miss out on the banquet that God has prepared for His children. If you're here this evening, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.
1: We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org dot org. That's d f i e l d c o c dot o r g. Or you can email at dfieldcoc seven seven nine at aol com. Or you can call us at nine zero three six four five two eight nine six. If you are local to the Dangerfield area we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West WM Watson Boulevard Dangerfield Texas 75638 her meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9:30 a.m. for Bible class and 10:30 a.m. for worship service Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.